Blackhawks fans, welcome into the Four Feathers podcast. It's Johnny Nani alongside Ron Luce and Tony Marchese. We're at the All-Star break, gentlemen. How are we doing? Johnny, we're doing. Uh, we, we've we made it. We're, we're 50 games into this hockey campaign, uh, and we're all still alive. We're all still breathing, and we haven't ripped our hair out yet. So that's, that's always a good plus. But I'm good, gentlemen. It's good to see you guys again. Are you sure, Ron? Are you sure we haven't ripped our, our hair out? I, mean, I haven't ripped mine out yet. So I'm speaking for myself. So I mean, I might just be patchy McAdams up here after watching this form of Blackhawks hockey. I'm doing okay, though, boys. I'm doing okay. Glad to be on the mic with you. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Uh, like I said, it's kind of a natural break in the schedule here. Uh, Blackhawks, uh, after their rough stretch of you know no goals, a lot of injuries here, uh, they get a much-needed break. And I say that for this broken Blackhawks team because they are broken offensively, and then they are physically broken. They're still dealing with a number of injuries that we'll get to uh, with all of that. We'll uh, do a little all-star break check-in, kind of take stock uh, of where this team is, and the, you know, kind of the state of the organization, and then also uh, just some on-ice things that we've seen this year. Uh, we'll talk through those injuries. Like I mentioned, Connor Bedard uh, will highlight that as well. Uh, we'll discuss NHL All-Star Weekend. There is a Blackhawks representative going. Now, it was just discovered in between our last two episodes. We'll discuss that uh, in our usual segments, Ruffle Some Feathers, Stick Taps, and we'll take a look at what's on tap next to close it out. Uh, before we get into any of that, uh, you know the drill. Go to ONTAP Sportsnet on YouTube, press subscribe, like the little bell notification so you know when we go live. Jump in the conversation. We'd love to hear your comments. Feature them right below us here on the screen as we are live. And as always... OnTapSportsNet.com is your home for all your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. That's what makes the Four Feathers podcast possible. All right, boys, we're 50 games in. Uh, like Ron mentioned, Blackhawks are 14-34-2. and two. Uh, Best odds for the number one pick in the NHL draft. Let's start there. Lottery ball is going to fall in our favor again? Johnny, you would certainly hope ping pong balls are going to be in our favor. Uh, I think Johnny, as you so appropriately put it at the beginning of last season, we told everybody be nice to your ping pong balls because you don't know where that karma is going to come from. I think we're feeling the same way right now, Johnny, obviously the Hawks are in the top spot, but as we've seen in recent years, it doesn't mean that they are going to get the number one spot. In fact, more often than not, the team with the best odds doesn't normally get the number one pick. So uh, certainly something to keep an eye on, but again, if they do finish with the best odds, uh, kind of the rule of thumb at the top of the draft is you can't pick any worse than two spots lower than where your odds are. So they're guaranteed effectively right now a top three pick. And more often than not, a top three pick uh, means that you are at least guaranteed a pretty good player in the NHL draft more often than not, Johnny. So they're, they're in a spot where in terms of the rebuild and the tank, you want to be, um, but just because they're number one in terms of odds does not mean Macklin Celebrini is a Blackhawk just yet. I mean, Macklin Celebrini sounds nice, boys. Let's let's just be honest with ourselves. This doesn't take place unless Connor Bedard gets injured. I think the team really fell apart, not just him, a couple of other offensive weapons that this team uh, is missing right now. Obviously, this isn't exactly what Kyle Davidson designed going into this year. I think that everybody thought that they'd be just a little bit more competitive than what we're watching right now. Um, that said, it does put us in the spot where we're looking at tankathon.com. We are rolling out the tank gifts almost on a nightly basis when the Blackhawks play yep. and we are in position now, as Ronald said, uh, so eloquently to give ourselves a chance at that top pick in the NHL draft, uh, this summer. So, 
Um, I had a lot of fun going to Nashville last year, boys. Uh, if we do wind up with the number one overall pick, what do you think, Vegas trip? What do you guys think? Oh, now you're talking. Now you're talking. That's good incentive. I, I thought that it'd be fun. Um, I don't know if we're going to get them though. I mean, there's still a lot of hockey left to be played here. We're 50 games in. Uh, and most teams are going to be around uh, this mark here as the all-star break proceeds. Uh, however, when you go and look at it, they're only ahead of the San Jose Sharks uh, because of point percentage. Their points are the same there. So when everything evens out at the end, that's the only time you're officially going to know uh, maybe into that like last week of the season, if they really, really fall off and another team randomly goes on a winning streak, I really almost hurt their odds, you know, pretty bad uh, with, with the couple of wins at the end of last season, but still ended up working out in the end. I really hope that's the case, but still too early to tell. I know everyone's getting excited about the possibility of Macklin Celebrini lining up alongside Connor Bedard. And don't get me wrong, it is a very exciting proposition, but not set in stone. So we'll have to see how the rest of the campaign plays out. But that's where we are uh, as of the NHL All-Star break. Let's talk about how we got to this point, boys. And my note here is, holy fuck, these injuries. These injuries are absolutely out of control. It's been a mainstay on the show. When we talk about the injury report, uh, it goes longer than it has in years past because the list is just so damn long, guys. Um, you know, like you said, Tony, this isn't really how Kyle Davidson scripted it, but it's just the cards that they've been dealt, and uh, it's the reality of it. So um, injuries just plaguing the Blackhawks, and you're seeing it with the absolute lack of offense, uh, especially over these last couple of weeks before the break. Yeah, and on top of it too, Johnny, they it's again, it's not, you know, the the Reese Johnsons of the world getting hurt. It's not the the Jacob Megna's getting hurt. I mean, you could make the argument that guys like Jacob Megna and Rem Pitlick and some of these others wouldn't even be with the team if it weren't for all these injuries because they wouldn't have needed to either claim them or acquire them via trade. Um, it's been their top guns. It's been the Connor Bedards, Nick Foligno for a short amount of time, Seth Jones for a little while, uh, and guys that are still there, right? They expected a lot of offense out of a guy like Andreas Athanasiu this year, and we have really not seen him since the preseason. Uh, same goes for the likes of guys like even Tyler Johnson, who... I think kind of went forgotten on this Blackhawks team over the last few seasons, but still had nine goals in 35 games. Looked like he could have been on pace for a 20-goal campaign and probably become a really good trade deadline chip for this team. Uh, instead, we don't know uh, when he's even going to be back and if he's even going to play again this season. So, again, it's not just the – it's not the 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 quantity of the injuries. It's also the quality of the injuries as well. That's really hurt them. I don't have much to add to that, boys, but, I mean, you sort of felt this – early on in this first half of the season. I mean, Hall being number one going down, uh, that was, that was sort of, you know, your, your offensive guy to be there with Bedard, you know, that was, there was a lot that was there. And then, I mean, everything just sort of piled up after that, but I don't have much to add to that. It's just been, as Johnny said, Holy fuck, these injuries, not good. Yeah, Ron, I think your, uh, you know, assessment of that and the quality versus quantity, that, that is definitely a huge part of it. Uh, fun fact on that, since you brought up Taylor Hall there, uh, the Blackhawks have not won a road game since he went down. And that was also the game that Andreas Athanasiu went down. So, um, you know, not exact causation, or, you know, correlation causation thing there. Um, but that's just the fact of the matter. And they are on a uh, 20, you know, uh, 20 consecutive road losses uh, franchise worst. Uh, we just saw that, you know, happen uh, via a, you know, getting shut out on Saturday in Calgary. So, the offense is, you know, not there. And a big reason for it is obviously Connor Bedard being out because he was carrying the team on most nights offensively, even after some of those injuries. But um, all of those adding up there, um, that's what you get 
So that, that's where we are. That, that's why the Blackhawks are the worst team in the league standings wise um, right now. So uh, with that, uh, we're going to get into some performers here. Uh, Jason Dickinson is the only player to play in all 50 games. And Connor Bedard. Uh, how are you now? Yeah, how are you now? Uh, Connor Bedard is still leading the team in points with 33, despite only playing in 39 games. That means he's what missed 15 or excuse me, 11 here uh, in the stretch. Um, guys, uh, that brings me to, you know, those are a couple of names that might be mentioned here. Who's the biggest bright spot uh, for the Blackhawks through 50 games of the season? Do you got one, Tony? I'll let you have the floor first. I mean, it's 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 really easy to sit there and say Connor Bedard, but I'm going to go Peter Mrazek, guys. That's, that's where I'm going. It, this is, I've said this numerous times on this show, uh, this is a guy that I wanted out of, Chicago. This is a guy that uh, I thought was, uh, you know, the tank goalie, right? And now he's been uh, re-upped for another two seasons. He's kept the Blackhawks in a lot of games. I think the reason that they're in some of these games, even at this point with Connor Bedard out, is largely on the back of of Peter Mrazek just playing out of his mind right now. He's been a huge bright spot for this team. So you know, I've, I'm the goalie guy. I'll go with uh, I'll go with my guy, Peter. Yeah, I, I I certainly love that pick as well. And Johnny, I'm a, I'm going to preface just like I did to you in the pre-show, right? It's easy to point at number 98 and say, well, of course he's been the biggest bright spot of this team because he, I mean, he ultimately has. But I, I think a guy that desperately needs to get some appreciation this year, um, I, I, an honorable mention that I will allow you to say, Johnny, because you and I were in agreement when we discussed this a little bit pre-show. But another guy that needs to get his flowers is the guy that's played all 50 games, and that's Jason Dickinson. And I think just, yeah, just the, the role that he's taken on in this team going from a guy that was, I think, largely looked at as a shutdown third line center coming into the season to becoming one of the biggest offensive bright spots of this team and ultimately earning himself a two year extension, uh, just as Peter Morazic and Nick Foligno did. Uh, you got to be encouraged by the story. He's entering effectively the prime of his career. He's only 28 years old. I mean, he's not old by any stretch of imagination. Uh, and as notorious TBG says here, it's a well-deserved extension uh, for Mr. Jason Dickinson. So I think he's been an incredible bright spot for this team this year. And and, and Johnny, I, I think I'm in agreement with your bright spot as well, because I think that guy has been a real gem uh, so far in the team this year. Right. I feel like this is a common theme with all of us. We can go and say Connor Bedard won. I feel like that's just fairly obvious. And this show would be very boring if we just all echoed each other's sentiments and said, Connor Bedard, Connor Bedard, Connor Bedard here. So I'm going to go with Alex Flasic on the back end. He has undoubtedly been the Blackhawks' best defenseman. Uh, he's still extremely young. Um, and this guy, he just deserves this praise for his shutdown defensive abilities. Um, man, he, when you go and look at some of his numbers, I, I got I got a little bit more on him later too. But uh, the points don't jump off the page at you, but he's got 84 blocks. Uh, he's a plus two, which is kind of insane to think about how much the Blackhawks get scored on and how little scoring they do. And then when you think about his profile and that he's not really an offensive you know, minded guy uh, for the most part, I mean, he, he can move it pretty well and he moves himself, his legs pretty well. However, it's not like he's, you know, dishing assists like a, a really offensive minded defenseman when you think of the top echelon of them in the league and they just seem to rack up helpers on a night in night out basis he's still plus two on this team um th that is you know extremely uh impressive in my mind and we've said it before we'll say it again plus minus isn't the end all be all it's, it's not the ultimate indicator of whatever but when you take into consideration the external circumstances around him uh you know given this team struggles so far 
his play has been very impressive and very poised for someone that young. Um, and shout out to him because I love, you know, you, you, we talked about it before. He can't teach talent. He can't teach size either. The guy is just massive. He moves well for it. And he looks like Freddy Krueger um, with, with the extendo arms when he, you know, lays out and, and blocks a pass or blocks a shot or whatever. So love me some Alex Vlasic. Johnny, really quick on the, on the plus minus stats here, uh, giving some more love to Jason Dickinson. Jason Dickinson on this Blackhawks team at plus eight this year, uh, which feels just Impressive. absolutely absurd given yeah. the state of the team right now. Right. Driving play. He's driving play. Yeah. And then, you know, Alex Vlasic is preventing other teams best, you know, scores from uh, really piling it on the Blackhawks. And I think that's something that you've seen. Sure. There are a few games that get out of hand and we know the, the backup goalie situation behind Tony's bright spot and Peter as you know, we know Arvid Soderblom struggles. We know some of the uh, you know, the depth defensemen there. That third pair is just kind of you know thrown together on a nightly basis, right? It's Louis Crevier in, it's Isaac Phillips in, it's you know uh, Nikita Zaitsev when he was healthy in there. So to go and look at some of those numbers for some of those guys, th- that's why they're bright spots here um, as we discuss them. So. We'll move to the flip side of the coin, guys. And another one that you could probably give an obvious answer for, but we'll go round table again. Who's been the most disappointing Blackhawks player through 50 games of this season? Johnny, do you want to go first? I feel like you never get to go first on these. It I'll go first. Like yeah, I'll, give, give I'll, first. I'll, I'll state the obvious. We didn't want to state the obvious for the uh, biggest bright spot. I'll state the obvious. It's Lucas Reichel by far. And you know what? Maybe it's not all entirely his doing. Sure, a better performance uh, night in, night out would uh, help a, his confidence with his game, uh, but B, uh, the fan base's perception of him. Maybe it's partly on Kyle Davidson for all of the kind of hype-up talk uh, that he got early on in the season and that he is an NHL ready player. He is going to move from wing to center and we expect him to play second line center behind Connor Bedard this year. Well, that didn't pan out. He got moved down. We talked about his struggles in, you know, past shows here uh, just as early as last week uh, when we did it. And he was a healthy scratch for a couple of games to start this road trip. Uh, he gets back into the lineup and he did have a little bit of a breakaway chance and maybe flashed a, a little bit um, against Calgary on Saturday night. But once again, Blackhawks don't have any results to show for it. And when we're talking about that and people point to that and say, oh, well, Lucas Reichel looks like he's got a little bit of a stride back. It's a rare, okay game for him. Most nights, it's just unnoticeable. And that's unacceptable for a former first round pick who has touted this highly. Once again, maybe not entirely his fault, but with the expectations that were placed upon him and the words that were said about him, glowing words that were said about him early on in the season, by far expectations versus performance. Lucas Reichel has been the most disappointing Blackhawks player so far. Yeah, uh, Johnny, I, I think you, you completely nailed it on the head here. Uh, going to the comments section as well, Notorious TVG saying Corey Perry would have been his biggest disappointment, but he guesses it's kind of an incomplete grade in technicality, uh, just given the forcing circumstances. And yeah, I mean, that's it's kind of a fair way if you actually think about it, right? I mean, early on in the season, one of the top scorers on this team, and then everything goes down the way it did, and his contract is terminated. That certainly qualifies as a disappointing uh, set of actions. So I, I don't think that's a terrible answer by any means. Gentlemen, I'm going to go with a guy that last season was a 20-goal scorer, and he is just disappeared. Taylor Radish is my biggest disappointment this season, Ooh. not named Lucas Reichel. He has 10 points in over 40 games played this season. Uh, to be exact, he has played 45 games this year. 10 points, 5 goals, 5 assists. And we all sat here, especially when the Brandon Hagel trade occurred. And yes, the two first round picks were certainly the biggest pieces of that deal. I think we all knew that. But 
Taylor Radish came in as a former second round draft pick, had a lot of offensive upside. We saw it a year ago when he was a 20 goal scorer, never expected Taylor Radish to be a 70 point player. He's not that kind of player, right? He's the big power forward that your, your best season out of him is probably a 2020 season, kind of similar to what Andreas Athanasiu did a year ago. And Radish wasn't far off of that a year ago, 20 goals, 17 assists. I think that's a beautiful season for a player like Taylor Radish. This year, he has been non-existent. He's had elevation opportunities in the lineup. Those haven't worked out. He's played lower in the lineup. He's just vanished. He's not even making differences in games this year. And if you put a gun to my head, gentlemen, right now and told me which one of the two guys acquired from Tampa are you keeping going to next year, I think Boris Kajuk has had more of a, an impact on this team right now than Taylor Radish has. And we could all sit here and probably say that Radish was the bigger piece in that Hagel trade. I think Taylor Radish has been so disappointing to the fact that he has literally played himself out of a contract next season in the in Chicago. And I think Boris Kachuk has played himself into a potential contract next season to stay with the organization. That's how disappointed I am in number 11, Taylor Radish. Right. You're probably looking at a lower value in terms of money, you know, dollar wise for Boris Kachuk. But it's a fair point there uh, when you once again consider expectations versus performance. So, Tony, go ahead. Absolutely. I think we all know where this is going, but, uh, you know, the, we have to do this. We we absolutely have to. This isn't a guy that gets one thumbs down. He gets two thumbs down. Two thumbs down. We're in the storm. <laughs> Arvid Soderblom, 2-15. and 15, 873 save percentage. Just abysmal. After we talk about how Peter Mrazek has kept this team in many games, Arvid Soderblom has been the Swiss cheese of the NHL in terms of goaltenders. That's why we've got a meme for it. I don't really need to go much farther than just just say he's been absolutely terrible. That's why he's pretty much been stapled to the bench outside of back-to-backs from Luke Richardson here. It's it's just an easy decision to start Peter Mrazek over this guy. This was supposed to be a growth year, uh, a year where he steps up and starts to make a name for himself, and he's pretty much shat the bed. So uh, that is my biggest disappointment here uh, from the Blackhawks in this season thus far. Absolutely, and I want to just add on to that really quickly, just some observations from the last three games from between the last time we talked and today. Um, From Arvid Soderblom's start, he got one because there was a back-to-back situation, right? So he got that Wednesday game at Seattle, and it was a 6-2 loss. And there were a couple people that were saying, well, why do you blame the goalie when the whole team can't, you know, they can't score, and, you know, the defense is shoddy in front of them and all of that. Well, when you go and look at moments in games, because hockey is a game of momentum. We know it swings back and forth like a pendulum here. The backbreaker was when Arvid Soderblom could not make the big stop on Thomas Tatar's breakaway right after Ryan Donato had a chance that was denied at the other end. Their goalie makes a save. Our goalie doesn't. We're absolutely defeated there. And then what does Arvid Soderblom turn around and do? He lets up one of the biggest rebounds that I've ever seen on a very basic shot that comes into his pads. Uh, Can't even smother it or get a stick, a paddle on it to get to the corner. And and it comes right back out for an immediate shot that that goes past him. And the Blackhawks' soul was absolutely crushed. Um, But it was because of that save that he didn't make on the breakaway. And sure, once again, you go back to the defensemen. Well, they got all jumped up in the play, and they, uh, you know, uh, they couldn't, uh, you know, get back in a, in a better defensive position. That it works out better. Well, guess what? In the modern game of hockey, you're going to have rushes back and forth, and you're going to get sucked up into the play sometimes when you're trying to generate offense. And why do they have to try to generate offense? Because they're so injured, and they have so many, in, uh, you know, guys that are primary scorers out. So then they were already down in the game because of Arvid Soderblom letting a couple of goals in. Once again, maybe not the first two completely his fault. But then you go and look at just 
that instance in the game. And it was absolutely the backbreaker. They said it on TNT. Eddie Olchek talked about it. Uh, John Weideman, Troy Murray both discussed it on the radio. And I just can't see the defense for it there. So it's just piling on to yours, Tony. Arvid Soderblom, very disappointing. I have nothing else to add. I think you guys have torn the the poor man apart as as it stands. I have nothing else to add to the to the tear apart party. But you guys are both correct. Uh, it's bad. very disappointing. And then you all you get in response instead of a better game is oh well he's working really hard with Jimmy Wade. That's my least favorite thing. I know Ben Pope and the likes of you know Phil Thompson and them got to get their quotes and they got to write something about it. But it's like we're just going to rip this guy to shreds here because he's deserving <laughs> of it. So we don't, we don't need any fancy quotes about what he's doing in practice with Jimmy Waite. Okay. Um, let's move on to the next one. Practice, Johnny. Yeah. Practice. We're talking about practice. Let's talk a little bit front office here. Uh, and this affects moves on the ice. So uh, what has been the best roster move that can be a signing, a trade, a waiver claim, what have you, we have had one since uh, we last talked that became official. I know we talked about the possibility of it, but Peter Morazic got a very similar extension to what Nick Foligno and um, Jason Dickinson both got those two years, 4.25 million. I think we can agree that was well-deserved, but that's the latest one to throw into the pot here. So what are you picking out? Then for your best roster move so far this season. Looking at me here, Ronald. I am. I mean, I, I have to go Nick Felino being uh re-signed. That that's that's definitely my favorite move. Um, even above the Peter Morazic re-signing. I think that uh just the having a veteran presence that didn't fuck up like Corey Perry did, uh, somebody that's been very outspoken uh with the media, he's the first one to grab the microphone after a tough loss and just tell it like it is. And I think that that's commendable. This isn't an easy job for an NHL veteran to be in. Uh, everybody's banged up around him. He went down, worked his way back into the lineup as, as fast as he could. He stood up for uh, multiple different players, including Connor Bedard in, in big situations, young guys. He is just, I know that everybody wants to talk about, you know, veteran presence and, you know, we're not winning games or, and whatnot, but he is a leader uh, just the example of a leader. And I think that that is super important for this young team to have an old grizzled gritty veteran like Nick Foligno in the locker room. So I think that's been the most important move uh, thus far. Two more years. We'll see if he retires out after that or sticks around on a year to year basis or winds up somewhere else. But um, just a little bit of, you know, I've been there, done that in this locker room is going to help. And I think that uh, that was a tremendous signing by Kyle Davidson. So it's easy to, it's easy to look at the results and say, Oh, well, it's terrible. And like oh, right. the locker room must be so down. He's the definition of a glue guy. Uh, that's going to help keep that thing together. And hopefully we can patchwork it until Connor Bedard returns. So good, good, good choice there, Tony. Ron, go ahead. Yeah, I think mine's going to be a little off the board. Um, you know, obviously, I think this is another instance where we could have said the the best roster or the best move this team made all season was drafting Connor Bedard, right? It, it, you could very easily lean back on that and say it's number 98. I'm going to go with another guy, uh, uh, something that the team kind of defied our thinking here on, on the show coming into the season. Um, that was keeping the 19 year old Kevin Korczynski around. I think he's, he's been able to get that first, just that, you know, first person viewpoint of what the NHL is as a young defenseman. I think he's played very admirably as a teenager in the NHL this year, especially on a putrid Blackhawks team this year. And even in instances where 
you know, he's gone through a lot of loss in, in this season, losing his dad, um, you know, just playing big minutes. He's been playing on the top pairing at times. He's pretty much been in the top four almost the entire season. There's been times where they've lowered him down to that third pairing. And it was mostly when he was coming back from that short time off after his father's passing. Uh, I think Kevin Korczynski has played admirably. He's got nine points in 44 games for a 19 year old. I mean, what else can you ask for? And he's going to know now going into the off season, what he needs to do to improve going into this coming up in the, into this next season coming up. I think it's worked out tremendously for him. I think it's worked out tremendously for the Blackhawks and for him and Alex Vlasic to become these young stalwarts that they're going to have on the blue line for years to come with Seth Jones. I, I think that's going to be really good for this team moving forward. So I think Kevin Korchinski really ha has been a guy that we haven't talked enough about. And for that reason, he's been my favorite roster move was, Hey, letting the kid play at the NHL level and keep him around in his age 19 going into his 20 year season. I think that will be crucial for his development too. Like you had said, just seeing it first person, right? For a full slate of games. And, you know, he's getting thrust into bigger situations because, um, you know, the team is in the state that it is right now, Ron. So I like that pick as well. Uh, I honestly didn't even really consider that when, when I was coming up with our little, uh, you know, uh, lineup of questions here. But I'll go to an obvious one. Uh, it's another signing. How are you now? Jason Dickinson. That extension is my favorite uh, because I think that Nick, Felino's leadership is de facto, like we like to call him. It's a given. I think back to those Blackhawks team when they were, you know, coming up in, in that 2010s dynasty, and Jonathan Taves' leadership was de facto. It was there. It, it was innate. But then having the likes of Duncan Keith, Brent Seabrook around, that was big in terms of getting, you know, how many times did Brent Seabrook save the locker room, save Jonathan Taves himself uh, on the friggin', you know, ice in that 2013 series against Detroit. This is the type of role that I can see Jason Dickinson being in um, because this guy can go and look at on ice production. This is surely a boost to his confidence. 15 goals, 10 assists, a uh, second in points on the team. He is your best faceoff man. He's still not above 50%. Uh, so it's been a you know problem area for the Blackhawks all year. And we were spoiled by Jonathan Taves being usually around like the 55 mark. Right. Um, but Jason Dickinson is very impactful on the ice and he has grown into this leadership role. And I, you know, they talked, uh, Kyle Davidson had done a lot of lip service about having this, you know, next wave of this franchise grow together. Right. Well, we always thought that meant, well, the young guys, whoever they draft and those guys coming up at the same time. And that's all important. It'll be great when Frank Nazar and Oliver Moore can get here and they can all mesh together and have their team bonding events and stuff. But guess who can help organize that with Nick Felino and lead the charge, Jason Dickinson right there. How are you now? Great signing. Uh, I love that one. So we move on to our next topic here um, in our list of all-star break check-in. Uh, and has your perception of Luke Richardson changed at all? Because there's a little bit different brand being displayed on a night-to-night -night basis from this team this year compared to last season. So has your perception of Chad Luke Richardson changed? Johnny, mine has not. And I, I think the biggest reason for that is you have to look at the roster last year to this year, and it was two very different teams. Last year's team was a lot of older players, uh, was a lot more veterans in place, more guys truly that were playing for jobs rather than learning the NHL. And they played admirably. And, you know, especially late in the season, they did some damage and they ruined some hopes of teams like the Pittsburgh Penguins and ultimately played themselves into Connor Bedard. And I think that worked out great for them. And I think they're going to get back to that brand of hockey at some point in the near future under Luke Richardson here in the next two years. I think this year has just been, it was a year of a bunch of young guys. And if we're being honest, you kind of saw it in those first 10 games when everybody was healthy. 
Like you, you saw that same fire and fight from this team, right? Opening with night, the Taylor, right? yeah, with the Taylor Halls around, and and even look what they did against Vegas. Vegas came rolling into the UC on one of the hottest streaks for a team to start the year after winning a Stanley Cup, and the Blackhawks went toe to toe with them in their own building. It just so happened that the wheels have fallen off, the rims have fallen off, the axles have fallen off, and hell, maybe even the sides of the fucking car have fallen off at this point because they just lost so many guys. They're effectively putting out an AHL roster at times on any given night, especially from the forward position. So I don't think my perception of him has changed. I think, if anything, it's it's almost grown in terms of my respect for Luke Richardson because this team is still – there is no – you don't hear any rumors of, of there's bad culture. You don't hear any rumors of it's falling apart. You don't hear any rumors of young guys getting in trouble or veterans, you know, saying something that they shouldn't like. This lo- locker room is still glue tight together. I don't think that's the concern here. It's just the physical roster on the ice is beat up. So uh, in my opinion, no. I-, I think if anything, I have more respect for Luke Richardson. I just pray that Kyle Davidson doesn't do anything too rash here during this rebuild and try to move on and think that it's going to be, you know, there's a better coach involved. Because I think Luke Richardson is the guy. I just think he needs more talent on the ice in order to play his brand of hockey. I fully agree with what Ron just said there. Uh, nothing has really changed in terms of my opinion on, on Richardson. Um, it would be really easy to sit here at this juncture and look at the record in the last two years and say, wow, he's not good at all. Um, for all the same reasons that Ron mentioned and you know, injuries and everything that's transpired thus far, um, I haven't seen anything that leads me to believe that he is anything like what we just had as a head coach in Jeremy Colleton, which was absolutely fucking horrendous. Um, you know, the, the, the guys seem to respect him. And that's the first thing that you look at, um, you know, when you're evaluating the coach is do these guys want to play for him and what are the visible signs? And you, you don't see any signs of cracking. I remember just back a couple of years with uh, Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves on the bench when, Jeremy Calden was, you know, whispering in their ear and the facial expressions that were made. You don't see that here at all. So um, when you've got, you know, veteran presence like Nick Foligno, Jason Dickinson, guys like that, um, who seemingly want to play for Luke Richardson, um, I don't I don't have a problem with him at this juncture. I think that, uh, as Ron said, if you give him a little more talent uh, and you see some of these guys grow, uh, and I would hope that uh, he's here for the long haul, but um, you know, th- I, I think that better results are ahead for Luke Richardson versus you know uh, him being the reason why this team is is not winning. I think that that's fairly obvious, at least to those who tune in on a semi-frequent basis and, and see this. Um, if you're an outsider looking in, I can definitely see where you would look at this and say, "Yeah, they need to change the coach," just because that is what sports teams do when they like just critically underperform. I don't think this is an underperforming team. I think it's a team that doesn't have enough talent, enough growth together yet uh, to get over that hump. Um, the, the system may look a little bit different, but I think Ron hit on all that. So uh, no, my, my perspective on Richardson has not changed at all yet. I just have to ask because that outsider perspective, it comes creeping in. Like you'd said, Tony, you just look at results and I mean, look at uh, over at soldier field. I mean, Hellas hall, Matt Eberflus gets absolutely destroyed. He got destroyed from week like four on by this fan base in Chicago. 
And I think so, that's an absolutely I, fair question, man. Right. And so I, I just just wanted to bring it up, and I would agree with, with you guys that my perspective hasn't changed. And if friend, if anything, my respect's grown from a little bit. He is still Chad Luke Richardson. I love the memes. I mean, the, the guy just looks like you know he's he's got an iron chin. Like, come on, I, I love him from an image standpoint. He, he's cool and tough coach, right? That's first foremost. You know what you see when you go and look at him behind the bench. But he's not afraid to stick up for his guys. I loved earlier on in the season. It was an absolute blowout game around Halloween. I want to say they got the wheels, the brakes beaten off of him at Arizona, but he's still, you know, they're down like four to one. He's still fighting for a penalty call or, or, you know, contesting it with the referee. And he eventually, you know, gave him his business and then said, no, go away, go away. There's that great clip uh, that, that we'll use, you know, incredible over on the four feathers pod X account. Um, and then, you know, you just go and look at his, you know, level headed approach to everything. And he's still talking X's and O's about a game and how we can win this game. Uh, you know, he was asked one time, you know, what's the game plan for tonight? And he said, win. Win. That's our game plan for tonight. And I, I respect it. He's done a lot with, with a little uh, in terms of, you know, having his team prepared to play most nights. Uh, sure, you're going to have some stinkers here and there just due to the lack of talent uh, with everybody injured. But uh, I think Rick Tockett gave him a great endorsement back when they started that road trip. And he had said that, hey, you know, Luke is dealing with all of these injuries, all of these absences and fielding what feels like an AHL roster on most nights. But they're competitive. They play hard uh, and they will take advantage of you if you you know take them for granted um so i feel like teams have been preparing for the blackhawks even if the you know you look at it from an outsider perspective they don't need to well it's just a pushover game they could just you know roll through them and like i said sometimes that happens like when you have arvin soderblum in that but um for the most part luke richardson has done his job and, and done it well and i don't think we should be in a you know too rash of a decision to want to move on uh like ron had mentioned but i have to bring it up because uh those you know kind of perceptions can uh start to form when you get into the second year um of less than stellar results so let's talk about another guy um that maybe you know people might be questioning and i know ron touched on a little bit at the end of last episode cal davidson has your perception of him changed at all um throughout the second season full-blown rebuild tony would you like to to speak first on kyle davidson or i mean you've given so many serenades to this man i think you're the right man to take the floor here all righty fair enough i know my 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 thoughts have not changed yet on kyle davidson because kyle davidson has had to tear this thing down and rebuild a farm system that was non-existent thanks to his predecessor uh i, I think he's doing everything that you would ask he's acquiring multiple first round picks for players that are good players don't get me wrong but players that aren't necessarily going to change the the future of this team in any capacity in terms of like so Brandon Hagel and Jake McCabe, even though two players I think we all can sit here and confidently say we very much liked in their time with the Blackhawks. Um, but, you know, he's taken calculated risks. I think that's I think that's commendable, right? A rebuilding GM could say, no, we're going to stockpile all of our draft picks. And Davidson's like, yeah, I'm willing to sacrifice a fifth or a seventh round pick because he's stocking the cupboard in those impact rounds, which are your first three rounds of the NHL draft. He's an analytics guy, right? He comes from that background. He was the head of the data analytics for the Blackhawks for how many years? And that was kind of his bread and butter. And analytically speaking, you hit on most of your full-time NHLers in the first three rounds of the draft. And if you look at what they have stockpiled in the first three rounds, 
they're in a really good position moving forward. They had this past draft where they took, what, nine players? And they even traded out of a pick at one point. They could have had 10 draft picks in this past draft. This coming draft, you're going to have two first-rounders, three second-rounders, two third-rounders. And sure, all you have is a sixth-rounder at the end of this draft, but that's okay. Because then in 2025, you've got two firsts, two seconds, a third, and two fourths. Then in 2026, you have three second-rounders again, two fourths again, and still have your own picks in the first and third rounds. And there, who's to say that there isn't another trade made at this year's deadline for a Tyler Johnson to maybe recoup a second or a third round pick or, or one of these guys that, you know, aren't going to be here a part of the future. We've talked about the guys that are in Nick Foligno and Jason Dickinson and Peter Mrazek, and he's done something that no rebuilding GM ever does and says, I'm going to kick these guys instead of flipping them for assets because I know what they mean to building a culture here and building a proper organization that young guys are going to be able to come in and succeed in. And I think for those reasons alone, he's going against the grain of what people assume a traditional general manager should do. I think that's one thing that's commendable that he's done, but he's also willing to take the shots where he knows they're the most calculated risks. It's early in the draft. And then going and getting guys that teams are just willing to get rid of. Hey, we'll take a flyer on this guy. The worst thing that happens is Rem Pitlick or Anthony Beauvillier or one of these guys moves on this season. What if Anthony Beauvillier comes back from injury and maybe in the last 20 games of the season puts up 13 points? Maybe he earns himself another contract with the Chicago Blackhawks next year to be a depth scoring piece. So I think the calculated risks and, and taking those darts at the, the, the kind of shots at the dartboard is, is commendable for a rebuilding GM and just trying to get the formula to work. And he's, I also think, done a very good job at restocking this farm system for not just the near term, but also the far term. So I don't think my thoughts on him have changed. Um, I, I, I think he's been pretty clear as to what the plan is. Right. We we appreciate transparency as a Cubs fan. All all Cubs fans were so thankful for a guy like Theo Epstein because he was transparent with the fan base. We're going to suck this year. OK, cool. At least we know what we're getting ourselves into, you know, and everybody's kind of critiquing Jed Hoyer now for not necessarily being like that. Kyle Davidson has been very transparent, I think, with us from a hockey standpoint of, hey, we're rebuilding. And I appreciate that Luke Richardson's going to make my job difficult. But. We are rebuilding. That is our goal. We need to stockpile. We need to draft well. We need to get good young players in here. And as Johnny, you've said multiple times, and Tony, you have reiterated too, right? They hit the jackpot. You got the one franchise player in Connor Bedard. You got the hardest part out of the way. Now continue to feed in healthy, you know, players that you draft and develop. They drought. Look at the development of Alex Vlasic last season. That you could directly give to Kyle Davidson. Right. That's a huge one right there. When was the last time the Hawks developed a freaking homegrown defenseman? 2005. It feels that way. Yeah. Nicholas Jalmerson like that legitimately. Yeah. It's been forever. I think what Kyle Davidson is doing is something you have to be excited about. He's going to get the, the, the players. He's taking shots. They draft a goalie to develop for the future. They have the bridge in Morazic. You have Camesso. You know, he was probably more involved in some of these more recent drafts for guys like Vlasic and Camesso and so on and so forth. So to get off my high horse, no, I have my thoughts have not changed on Davidson. GMs need three to five years to execute a plan. He's only in year one and a half of that plan execution. I mean, this is only his, his really his first, you know, there is second. Like Steve season, Stone though. right now. 
it's true though. Well, now, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta. So I, I, I have not changed my stance on Davidson. I, I'm very much still liking what he is doing in the front office. That's very well put, GM Ron. From one GM to another, there, uh, Tony. Any thoughts to add on there? You know, I, I, as Ron said, it takes five years to build a house. Or actually, that was Steve Stone. But um, you know, I don't think the book on Kyle Davidson is is completely, you know out of the, the, the prelude here, this is going to take a while for us to evaluate, um, you know, whether or not he's going to be a successful GM. You're just, like I said, very, very early on in the story here. So in terms of, has my thought changed at all? No, but I, I don't know what we have here yet. Um, I'm a victim of something called, uh, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf and Rick Hans, uh, rebuilds and this while it doesn't feel the same way i've also and in in baseball fandom had number one overall prospects before that never turned out into anything um and this is very recent so it's okay to be a little bit skeptical here i know ron brought up a couple of things about transparency and i know you qualified that with the the hockey situation side of the house but let's not forget that we're just a couple of months, weeks removed from literally everyone that follows hockey saying that the Blackhawks were not being transparent enough through the Corey Perry situation. Then you've got guys like John Scott who worked for NBC Sports Chicago going on podcasts and talking about how harmless this was and how the Oilers, you know, got a good stand-up individual. Something within the Blackhawks organization still hasn't completely festered itself out of here. But I think, you know, if we sit here and continue to just always throw flowers, um, then it's going to be a little one sided. We have to be a little cautious with this. What's the next shoe to drop? You know, what if it what if it's, you know, something weird that happens with another star player? What damage did the Corey Perry situation do to Kyle Davidson's ability to go out and sign a, a top tier free agent because an agent or a group of players are saying, don't go to Chicago now. You don't want to go play for Kyle Davidson. If you make one wrong move, you're going to get cast off. It's not like we're talking out of our asses here. You've got guys that work for NBC Sports Chicago saying that this guy, you know, didn't do something super wrong. So I think that we need to also evaluate the other side of the coin here and how the Blackhawks go about their business, especially handling players and, and NHL veterans. Um, so to me, if, if you want to look on the flip side of that, when the news breaks that, oh, no, we're not going to go out and, you know, sign more guys, we're going to continue to, you know, build through the draft and, and let things, you know, fester up and then go and sign and, and re-sign a bunch of these current players who are already here. That's easy business. It's going to be hard business when he needs to fill in the gaps a little bit more. I'll evaluate once we get to that point, because there is no way this team achieves a Stanley cup championship without making additional moves for veterans at some point, whether that be via trade, whether it be via free agent signing, there are plenty of, of ways in, in, in which that he can do that. But um, you know, I, I don't think that he's on the wrong path. I just, there's been a couple of red flags that have been thrown up and I think it's okay to bring those up and, and throw some caution out there. All right. I like both of those points, guys, because mine is a little bit of a mix of it, too. I would say my perception has changed of Kyle Davidson. I thought he was going to be by the book and by the math 
the analytics, like you had said, Ron, in terms of his approach to the rebuild, we are going to cast off all of these things and stockpile a million and a half draft picks and all of that. And I was happy to see a little bit of a change in, you know, tune there of, okay, we, we have these guys that are good locker room presences here. Cause what do we talk about all last year? Hashtag culture, culture, culture. And it felt like, you know, we couldn't really get much of that going this year. Cause you wouldn't have like those like little like gritty wins or whatever and stuff. And I know I'm getting to on the ice stuff here, but then to go and try and reestablish that, I, I thought that, you know, all those guys for the most part would be trade bait um, at, at some point. So um, I commend him for that. But then on the flip side of it, when I go and I rewatch that thing, I know it's probably a very difficult situation for him. You know, yeah, I had like tears in his eyes. So I, I feel for him there as a human being sympathize there's a dynamic at play there where he's beholden to this new blackhawks brain trust of rocky words jamie faulkner and kyle davidson and it's important to keep that in mind because right for right now he's running all the hockey decisions right what if Rocky, you know, Danny Wirtz gets a little bit you know in the mix here and now we want to start you know ramping this thing back up and the hand has to be forced a little bit Kyle Davidson going to be the one to say that, no, we got to stick to this plan. We got to do this. Or is he going to, you know, go out there and be the spokesperson and the yes man for it? I just don't know. And that's not anything that I'm saying. Like I said, Tony, I don't think he's doing a bad job. I don't think he's on the wrong track here, but these are just things to keep in mind because we are still so early on in in this process here. So um, once again, some stick taps for him, but on the other hand too, I'm also going to wait it out and let timeline play out because guess what? He could just, you know, it's great that he's, you know, resigning some of these guys here. Like Tony said, it's kind of, you know, fairly easy business compared to it. Well, what if there is a perception out there and, or he's just not the best at, you know, being the most attention grabbing uh, option for when it is time to sign a big free agent. And what if we whiff on our Marion Hosa, right? We don't know that yet. So I can't say that he is going to, or I can't say that he absolutely is going to land the next Marion Hosa. But it's just something to keep in mind here. So my perception has changed a little bit. So I thought it would be kind of his by the book. And he has reiterated that sort of, um, you know, we want once we get back to where we want to be, we want to stay there. I appreciate that. And I want the Blackhawks to do the same. But we're going to need action in the years coming uh, to back that up. So I would just throw you know a little bit of caution out there like Tony did. But, but I think we covered the bases on that one, guys. Um, Let's talk uh, more on ice stuff here because the one the one player that, that we kind of glossed over earlier because it was kind of a de facto answer. We're all looking forward to when is Connor Bedard going to be back on the ice? Uh, and in the pregame show on Saturday night, um, there was a little game uh, that NBC played with Pat Boyle hosting and Kaylee Chelios and Charlie Emilio discussing, and they gave their uh, predictions. So why not give ours? Charlie Romiliotis says February 13 versus Vancouver, which would be before uh, that timeline if it plays out. And then Kaylee said uh, more in the middle of that, uh, which would be the game where they're retiring her dad's uh, jersey at the Blackhawks uh, versus Red Wings game on February 25th. So, guys, uh, when's Connor Bedard going to be back? Your guys' thoughts. Tony, do you have a game? I I need to think on this one for a hot second. I think I gave this prediction a little bit ago, uh, a couple shows back, but I'm also with uh, with the Chelioses here. Um, I'm going for that that game right there on the 25th, if not that Friday, the 23rd. Um, I, I would say it's it's one of those. But if I had to guess, I'm going to say the 25th. Just packed house, um, big game, Red Wings. I'm not sure what's going on with Patrick Kane right now, or if he's even returned from injury. I know he suffered one a couple weeks ago, but uh, I just feel like that's the right game. He needs to play in that game. Um, the injury timelines sort of match up around there. So, um, you know, that that's 
probably the biggest game you've got left on the schedule this season. I think they're going to want him in the lineup. I think he's going to want to be in the lineup for that game. Could be earlier, but I would say like worst case scenario, if if things are you know trudging along a little slowly and we're waiting on doctor clearance, it's it's the 25th of February. I like that. I like that a lot. Tony, in relation to number 88 in Detroit, uh, there is reports out there that believe he could play Wednesday against Ottawa and that would reactivate him from the IR. He is still technically on the IR, though, but um, plenty of time where we should see Patrick Kane in the United Center on the 25th. I think with that in mind. I, I think some Friday night hockey is a good vibe to get Bedard back. You give him one game to get kind of his feet under him again, get get him used to that game action again, because I think everybody knows that game on the 25th is going to be the biggest game of the season in a lot of fans' minds because of the, the retirement, because it's the Red Wings, because it's Patrick Kane's first return to the United Center since leaving the Blackhawks after being traded. There, there's so many storylines going into that game that – I think if the organization can and he's cleared to do so, you would want to give him at least one game, maybe even two, to get him back in the building. My uh, my little tinfoil hat take here, gentlemen. I know you guys will appreciate this. Uh, the Blackhawks on the 21st against the Flyers are on national television. So what better night for Connor Bedard to come back than a nationally televised game? Um, so that's my tinfoil hat take. But I, I think the sweet spot is that, that Friday night game on the 23rd of February against the Winnipeg Jets. You stole my thunder, Ron. Nah, sorry about that. I was gonna build it up. That's okay. Those, <laughs> those factors that you mentioned, I like to go by the schedule that is given from the medical professionals. And this timeline now, uh, we are now three to six weeks. Uh, when you whittle it down, excuse me, three to five weeks because what was it? Um, six to eight weeks was the initial one. So now we are two weeks removed from that to the day uh, on this Monday, January 29th here, uh, excuse me, three weeks removed from that to the day. Um, so that puts it at three to five weeks now. And then that would put their first game on that exact timeline back. Um, it is an away game. They're only away game in February, uh, Monday, the 19th against uh, the Carolina hurricanes. It's their only away game. I don't think he's going to be for that one. Um, I know we'll probably be itching to get back out on the ice. I mean, you see all of them, you know, what he wants to do and all of his uh, skating and non-contact stuff that he's doing, skating with the fishbowl. Um, once again, I think, you know, add in those factors, playing on national TV, on TNT. The NHL could use some ratings boost, right? We know that he was the biggest and most watched thing uh, from his debut against uh, Sidney Crosby there. So I will put it at that Wednesday, uh, February 21st. That is just after that um, official timeline. And Luke Richardson has been very consistent in his answers that the bones need to settle right and that is like the medical reasoning behind it doesn't matter how much he wants to or is itching to or how bored he is of not playing hockey that is just what needs to settle in his jaw before he can get back out there so i'd put it on that on national tv um i think those are good guesses so um just had to play that game i, I like that they did that on nbc so chloe brought it here uh two four feathers a follow-up question for you guys really quick on the note of connor bedard's return when he returns does he wear the bubble oh uh, that's a good question probably i no. would think so yeah probably to start i mean because remember, the last time Connor Bedard wore a bubble, he put up 23 points in nine games. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, if we're getting bubble Bedard, I'm kind of for it. I'm just saying. Yeah, uh, I, I want to say Jared Tenorti did as well when he came back, yep. um, at least for a few games. And that was very similar um, in terms of the broken jaw. So I could definitely see that bubble Bedard. Um, but we'll, we'll see. But uh, those are our predictions for Connor Bedard's return. Um, guys, let's talk. A little bit of fun stuff here. 
we had said that, you know, with Bedard injured, and there's no uh, representative for the Blackhawks at, at the uh, All-Star game. We thought Jason Dickinson maybe get a nod there. He didn't. Kyle Connor got it. We discussed that last week. Since then, Tommy Hawk has announced that he'll be at NHL All-Star Weekend, taking part in all the mascot festivities. So, um, guys, he released this whole like schedule of like mascot events. There's dodgeball on Thursday and mascot skills competition and ice hockey game on Friday, a street hockey game on Saturday, musical chairs on Sunday. Is Tommy Hawk throwing hands during this? We've seen the video work. We know what he can do. Is he getting into this or what? I think it's certainly possible. And you know what? I'm really eyeballing. I don't even think it's the ice hockey game. I think it's the street hockey game. Johnny is right. when he's really getting down and dirty. That's a off from the beginning. Yeah, I could I could see Gritty coming in trying to do something stupid, and Tommy Hawk's just fed up with it and and just drops gloves, um, drops the stick, maybe throws the ball at his eyeball. Who knows? Uh, I'm I'm ready for some Tommy Hawk theatrics, but. If there's any any event he's going to do it, it's in that street hockey game. It's got it written all over it. I'm going musical chairs. I think that uh, if there's <laughs> any game, that, the weekend. <laughs> yeah, if, if there's if there's any game that uh, he gets really fed up with, it's it's going to be musical chairs. So I would keep my eye on that event. That's that's. Hey. I mean, that's a, that's a tough game. Somebody pulls a chair out underneath you and, you know, hands are thrown. It's he power bombing him like he did to that kid in the, uh, at, uh, United center uh, a couple of years ago. <laughs> See it right now. And, I, said, and- I said to bring that up, uh, guys, I wish we could, you know, I, I don't know if it'll be aired anywhere or whatever, but I hope we get some clips from the ice hockey game. I love the mascot games. I always love like the clips of, you know, like when like NCAA football, like, you know, 2012, you could like play with the mascots and I'm sure there's a chill mode where you play with the mascots. That shit always just makes me laugh. I think it's visually hilarious. So I'd love to see Tommy delivering some checks uh, in that ice hockey game, but that's the extent of our Blackhawks representation at all-star weekend. So um, it will, you know, run down to some of the events that are going to happen here. But before we do that, our regular segments, Let's ruffle some feathers. Ron, I know you got one, so go ahead and start. I do. I, I'm going to ruffle some feathers. My initial ruffle some feathers was going to be that I'm I'm ready for 10 days of no Blackhawks hockey because as Tony alluded to earlier in the episode, uh, he might have blotches of hair missing on top of his head from watching this brand of Blackhawks hockey. But I, I think one that's going to ruffle even more feathers, and uh, I, I will give Johnny his flowers here because he uh, he kind of got the, the wheels turning. He, he, he oiled them up with some WD-40 before the show started. We sit here and we wonder what what is the future of Lucas Reichel on this Blackhawks team? He's in a contract season. Uh, he's going to be an RFA at the end of the year. Uh, he's very just this season looks lost. Um, had a little bit of flair at the, at the NHL level last season toward the end of the year, but that's really all we've seen of him in terms of NHL success to this point. He was a Bowman draft pick, uh, as Johnny pointed out when we were discussing things in the pre-show, and you know. The question bears, can he play the Luke Richardson brand of hockey? So to ruffle some feathers, what if Lucas Reichel is used at the trade deadline to potentially sweeten a package to get something to improve this team for the near future? There was reports out there today, uh, courtesy of the Freed Show, Mr. Elliot Friedman, uh, indicating that a guy like Andre Kuzmenko uh, could be available from the Vancouver Canucks. I know a lot of people probably just went, who the fuck is that guy? Well, let me tell you who that guy is. He scored 39 goals as a rookie last year in the NHL, came over from the KHL, 
He's off to a rough start this year on the lead or the Western Conference leading Vancouver Canucks. Only has 21 points in 43 games, eight goals, and whatever amount of assists that gives you. Uh, carry my one 13, I believe, if I'm doing my math correctly there. Um, he could be a, a player who. He's a five and a half million dollar a year player this year. He's got another year at five and a half. He's only 27 years old. Maybe that's a guy that the Blackhawks say, you know what? Maybe we could get him for one of these barrage of second round picks that we like. Because if if trade deadline from a season ago, gentlemen, tells us anything, or at least what I learned from the trade deadline is you get Kyle Davidson's favorite type of draft capital in a second round draft pick. I mean, he can get another one of those at the trade deadline. Maybe you ship one of those in Lucas Reichel to Vancouver and get yourself a, a beautiful toy in Andre Kuzmenko. Um, ruffles some feathers because there's a lot of people that are like, Lucas Reichel's oh, yeah. going to work in Chicago. And yep. I go, what if he's just trade bait? What if, what if he's just not that good? Remember I brought that up in like early November, guys. What if I said he's just not that good because you go and look at like the weird COVID draft year and he's like 17th overall and it was a Stan Bowman pick once again. So with their new identity, with their new direction here, maybe he's just not a fit. And I know that sounds bad. Oh, you traded away a former first rounder. And, you know, the, well, guess what? You traded Stan away. Stan Bowman did it every fucking season. And I know there are more dynamics at play, but you traded away Kirby Doc and he was the number three overall pick. Like, you know, it, there is, I don't think it should be, it, Lucas Reichel is by no means at any point cemented into the Blackhawks' future plans, at least if I'm in Kyle Davidson's seat. So, Ron, I love that, and you're going to ruffle the feathers of all the people that have, you know, weird, cutesy pictures of Lucas Reichel uh, as their profile pictures on social media. I love that. <laughs> love that. Tony, you ruffling feathers? I've got a, I've got a combination ruffle feather and a stick tap here. I know that I'm jumping ahead of myself, but uh, this this might go down a little combination, Johnny. So, uh, little little story time. Uh, last Blackhawks game that I was in attendance for, just uh, about a little little over a week ago, um, I ran into a very unfortunate situation. I've never had to do this in my entire life, um, but I ordered a beer from uh, from our guy Johnny, and you, you know. Tony over there at the UC yep. up in the 300 level. And this is uh, right before the game starts. Normally I grab, you know, a, 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 one of the uh, cans or 16 ounce bottles downstairs in the atrium prior to uh, going upstairs and, and, you know, get my first draft. And it was absolutely terrible. It was the first time I've ever sent a Budweiser back in my entire life. Um, it was just that bad. And I walked over to our guy, Tony, and I, I, I had to tell him it was very unfortunate because I, I hate being the guy in that situation. Uh, you know, like this tastes like ass. Um, but I, I'm really mad. And, and he told me that there's just not enough people drinking beer. And I'm going to blame people doing dry January. Oh, yes. It's yes. terrible. Losers. Yep. Drink your beer in January. Nerds just absolutely terrible. And, and, you know, the, my stick tap comes because Tony was an absolute hero runs over to uh, the, the three twenty four bar and uh, gets me a nice draft of Budweiser tasted excellent. So stick taps to Tony for getting that done, but we need to be drinking more beer people. Yeah. We need to be drinking more beer. I can't wait for dry January to be over so that people continue to like actually buy stuff. So that the kegs don't sit for four or five days in yeah. between events. We need to get back on that horse. So, that's my ruffle some feathers for the, uh, I, for the week. I love it. I, I love that, Tony. Um, yeah, my uh, ruffle some feathers here is expected stats because um, we've dealt with this in baseball, um, Tony. And, you know, Aaron Bummer, the expected stat, uh, just God. 
amongst the analytics community. Some X over over for our uh, you know uh, what socks on tap folks over there. Um, but I saw it, Charlie Emiliotis tweeted about, it, and I know it's innocent on his. He's just saying that the Blackhawks played better; they deserve better than what they got. Okay, I get it from Calgary, but I had to make a little joke that you know the Blackhawks, if they were in the ex- expected goals for final, and it was a gif of Taves kissing the cup and lifting it up to the expected stats, don't make me feel better. They, they don't make me. Feel, do you feel better when you go and like look at this? Are you going to remember the game, the last? game before the all-star break as the Blackhawks getting shut out and extending their road losing streak to 20 are you going to remember it as oh damn well you know they just had more expected goals for and it was just unlucky that night what are you going to remember the result right so I all your hashtag confirmed all you process Probably. over results people it just goes so it, like I understand their value and if you want to look at those that's fine they don't console me at all and I just get frustrated when I look at them. So the expected stats, whatever, might use it to like gauge a, you know, is this player going to score soon or is he going to break out of a funk? That's where I would kind of like put it there. But when I'm talking overall team, you know, hockey's a weird, messy, random game. Sometimes the puck goes in off of a defenseman's skate on a chance that wasn't high danger or extreme high danger, as Mike Kelly on NHL Network will tell you, right? So it's just messy. It's random and expected stats don't do it for me. I don't want to see it. And I don't want to be champions of the expected goals for final. I want to score goals and light the lamp actually. So I'll leave it at that. Well, Tony, you started off stick taps. I'll move on to mine. Alex Vlasic. I mentioned all the reasons there. 2.7 uh, point share. It's 2.8 actually on defense. So that's the highest on the team. Uh, he has been your shutdown defender. He deserves stick taps for uh, defending, uh, you know, for this just got awful results wise team. <laughs> Yeah, he, he sure does, Johnny. I, I I completely agree with you there. I'm a big Alex Vlasic guy as well. Uh, I'm going to stick tap a guy that's not currently on the roster, gentlemen. Uh, but the reports came out uh, via Ben Pope's article about one Landon Slaggart. Uh, he gets Ooh. my stick taps because uh, despite this team being in disarray, despite him turning down a contract to return for his senior season at Notre Dame, he said he is committed to signing with the Blackhawks at the end of this season. He said he's actually looking forward to it. Uh, he and his family were at a game this season uh he said he's continually been in contact with the blackhawks he said they've been nothing but good to him giving him great expert advice on things he can work on and so and such uh he really just wanted to go back to notre dame uh relish in the fact that he got to play with his younger brother uh as he got to play with his older brother who played at notre dame uh and he's also the captain this year so getting to relish that leadership opportunity as a senior so uh big sick taps to the landon slaggart uh hopefully you know he's enjoying the hell out of his senior campaign being the captain of of the notre dame hockey team and um again Guy that hopefully we'll see at the NHL level once he uh, signs his contract with the Chicago Blackhawks come the end of the Golden Domer season. Um, the regular last regular season uh, games are that last weekend of February. Uh, and I don't know about you, gentlemen. I was telling Johnny this a little before the show, but I'm eyeballing a trip to potentially Ann Arbor to see our friends Frank Nazar and Landon Slaggart play against each other in the final regular season game of the year. Um Hopefully that can come to fruition. It'd be good to see those guys before taking in Patrick Kane, Chris Chelios, and Connor Bedard return at the UC on that Sunday evening, the 25th. Would be pretty epic. Uh, so we'll have to see how everything goes. But yeah, that is good. my stick tap. 
Yep, I like it, Ron. Good news on Slaggart there, because I feel like that was kind of uh, in limbo for a while, right? You didn't know yeah. um, if that was going to be the case, because what most guys come out after junior year, and when he didn't, he wanted yep. to return to Notre Dame. But there, I, once again, I'm thinking on the other flip side of the coin there, there's a strong family tie there, right? Um, and, Huge you know, family tie. I believe his dad's yeah. also an assistant coach, right. too. And, he, and, so. I, and I want to say he you know, he was going to be captain, too, so um, that yeah. sort of thing. Um, you know, And also, you know, Blackhawks got a pretty good, damn good pipeline there, too, so um, don't don't really blame him um, in terms of, you know, wanting to stay around there. So um, good news on that front. I like your stick tap there. Let's uh, we're getting close to wrapping up here. Uh, season five, episode 24 of the four feathers podcast. We appreciate everyone tuning in once again on hip sports and on YouTube and four feathers pod uh, on the socials. Go and follow us um, for what's on tap next. A lot of off time for the Blackhawks here. We're starting here nine. It was 10 day break. We're on the second day of it here. So nine days uh, without hockey. There will be the NHL All-Star Weekend, guys. Uh, it's a three day event. Thursday is the All-Star Draft. And then the women's three on three showcase after uh, on ESPN. Um, Friday, the February 2nd skills competition at 6 p.m. Central Time on ESPN. And then the game itself on Saturday, uh, February 3rd at 2 p.m. Uh, on ABC, that is. You guys tuning into any of this with no Blackhawks representation? Maybe a little bit of it, Johnny. I mean, there's really not much on. This is kind of the most dead sports week, especially if you're a Chicago sports fan. Um, I know you got some bulls in action, but what else are we going to do? I don't know. Maybe I'll tune in. Probably the skills competition. I think I always pretty much tune into that. But uh, the actual game itself... Might be on his background noise. Just waiting for that football to be back, Johnny. Yeah. No Super Bowl and Super Bowl and uh, you know, they got the bye week before. So you know, this is what it is. <laughs> I will uh, I am probably in agreement with Tony. If I'm gonna tune into anything this weekend, it will be a skills competition. To me, that's the the most fun event of the weekend. I think it always historically has been, even before the three on three change and all that good stuff. I've always looked forward to the skills competition. I think that's the the coolest event that the the hockey the or the the league puts on for the All Star Weekend. Um, that being said, I probably, admittedly, will not tune in uh, to the All Star Game itself. Uh, I'll look for the good highlights. Hopefully, Wes McCauley's mic'd up again and we get some good uh, some good one timers from him. But uh, other than that, yeah, the the skills competition is always a good time, uh, so that'll certainly be worth the worth a, a check out. But otherwise, it, it's. Um, I'm telling you, if Gary Bettman hasn't called Brendan Smith and told him he's an asshole for breaking Connor Bedard's jaw, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what old Gary Bettman's doing because uh, the the league's going to lose out on a lot of money with nine, number ninety eight not being in the All Star festivities. Yeah, two gonna, words. Uh, back, say, back. would you be tuning in if Connor Bedard was oh, there? One thousand yeah. percent. Yeah, we absolutely would. Um, I, I'm on that train too. Two words, background noise. Uh, my focus will be on the Bulls and some college hoops. Uh, you know, a little break from hockey here. It is what it is. Like you said, if Connor Bedard was there, I'd probably be, you know, more dialed into it. But that just is what it is. So um, we'll see. I'll probably, you know, check out, dip into it, but not really uh, that invested in it, so to say. All right, uh, guys, after that, though, let's talk some more Blackhawks here. February home heavy slate guys. This is wild setup. 11 of, uh, excuse me, 10 of their 11 games in February will be at home. That starts uh, when they resume action on Wednesday, February 7th against Minnesota. The only road game I mentioned a little bit earlier, potential Connor Bedard timeline date uh, Monday, February 19th at Carolina. Other than that, uh, a lot of interesting teams uh, rolling through uh, the United center. Um, it'll be fun. Bunch of anthems, a uh, bunch of, uh, you know, dry January over Tony, hopefully people drinking some beer at the United center here. So uh, looking forward, 
forward to it. Uh, well, you guys, uh, you know, I know you guys got, got a few games uh, that you're going to be uh, heading out to. So w- what matchups are we looking forward to most in February? Uh, I, I think admittedly it is some of the ones that uh, I know Tony and I will admittedly already be in attendance for. Uh, it's always fun to see the Pittsburgh Penguins roll through town with Sidney Crosby in, in that loaded roster. Um, the New York Rangers on a Friday night at the UC is pretty hard to beat, if you ask me. Always good to see old friend Artemi Panarin as well. Um, you know, I would I would have been more excited for the Ottawa Senators uh, just because you get to hear the Canadian National Anthem because they're in Eastern Canada. Maybe uh, maybe uh, Mr. Cornelison breaks out a little bit of the Francais in the anthem as well, like he did when they played the Montreal Canadiens. Um, but outside of that, uh, you know, we can hear the Canadian National Anthem of that Friday night game uh, on the 23rd, another game that we have some tickets to. And uh, I mean... Detroit sucks. We all know that's that's going to be a good game, and that's probably the the big gold sticky star one that we've all got on the calendar. But personally, I'm very excited for Pittsburgh because one of my best friends is a big Penguins fan. So I'm going to try and con him out to the UC with me for that game. And uh, so far, I think we only seen the Penguins win once at the UC out of three tries now. So the Hawks with the uh, slight advantage, and probably the most painful one that he had to watch was Mark Andre Fleury getting the win when he was still a Blackhawk against mm. the Penguins. So. That was a good one. But um, so I'm looking forward to that. And then I think the, the Friday night game against the Rangers too. original six hockey on a Friday night is uh, always cool and tough gentlemen. Yeah, absolutely. Tony. I mean, Ron just kind of hit on all the points there, so I don't need to reiterate much. I'm just dying for it to be February 25th. I'm, just waiting yeah a little, little birthday celebration for our panelist tony there uh, yeah going it's, on it's, along, alongside the uh chelios you know extravaganza i'm, I'm very excited we're we're turning turdy tree so it's going to be my pat foley year Ooh. I, it's Ooh. it's going to be a good year so i'm i'm looking forward to uh starting that off with with a bang there that night uh and um yeah hopefully uh it's kind of bedard back in the in the lineup and you know we we have some beers and Watch a Blackhawks winner. Yep. I feel like everybody's, you know, had that one circled on the calendar for a while, ever since Pearl Jam announced that uh, the Hawks were retiring, uh, you know, uh, Chris Chelios' number. So um, I'll uh, step off of that one and go to my predicted one, Nostranani mode, Tony. Uh, Wednesday, February 21st, uh, Connor Bedard will return with the Blackhawks on national TV hosting the Philadelphia Flyers. So that's one I'm looking forward to the most. And that about does it for this episode of Four Feathers Podcast. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the extended format. A lot of good topics discussed here uh, with a little, you know, check-in for the much-needed one for the, this broken Blackhawks team. So physically, they're just broken right now. Hopefully some of those guys can heal up, uh, get healthy, uh, be back when the team does return uh, to action. As always, uh, make sure you go uh, subscribe on Tip Sports on YouTube. I'll uh, we'll, Press the little bell button. You'll know when we go live. Then uh, you can join in with your comments. Had some good discussion uh, from some of views today. So we appreciate that. As always, uh, give us a follow on the socials at Four Feathers Pod and at ONTAP Sportsnet. And check out ONTAPSportsnet.com for all your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. Uh, a little quick plug there. Uh, if you like Blackhawks history, I've been doing a little on this date series uh, over there. Just little tidbits and notable birthdays, uh, events that happen on a certain day there. Uh, that's over at ONTAPSportsnet.com. Click the Blackhawks tab for a little daily history lesson over there. So that's all I've got, guys. Until next time, let's go Hawks. Let's go Hawks. Let's go Hawks, baby.